Good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here with us today, that you have chosen to worship with us. This morning, as we begin our worship service, I'm going to be reading a call to worship based on a passage from Psalm 23, a very familiar passage. Um, but please uh, join me as we prepare and meditate our hearts to worship this morning. Lord Jesus, we walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Let us find our life in you, O Lord, banished from the Garden of Eden for our rebellion. We long for the Garden of Paradise. O Lord, you are the Christ. Remember us in your kingdom. We come to hear you speak of your love for us. You have the words of eternal life. Amen. Our hymn is number 325, Great is the Lord, 325. If you are able, please stand and join in singing. Hymn number 325. <laughs> invite all of our children to come down front this morning for a lesson on the steps. I'm not Ellen, but I promise I won't, I won't bite or... Ellen's probably more likely to do that than I am anyway. 
I'll pay for that one later. Yeah. Good morning, girls. So this morning, do we have any others making their way down? No. So this morning, Pastor Keith is going to uh, read a passage for us later in his sermon, and I want to read just one verse from what he's going to read later. This is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It says, little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Now, this passage of scripture here, it says little children, and it is talking to the little children, but it's talking to everyone. We are all God's children, even you. And what this passage of scripture tells us is that we are to love. And we can say to our mom or our dad or our brother or sister or someone that that we may love, we can tell them that we love them with our words. But what this passage of scripture tells us is that we not only should love with our words and our speech, but in truth and action. Do either one of you have a pet at home? You both do, do you have a dog? You have three dogs. You have two dogs? You're about to have puppies. Oh, so you got a busy schedule coming up. Yeah, you have a cat too? That's great. Well, let me ask you, I have a picture to put up on the screens, if we can get, the, get that up there. This is, this is uh, mine and Mary's dog. His name is Zeb. And we adopted Zeb a little over a year ago um, from the Greenville Humane Society. And as you can tell, Zeb has a lot of energy. Uh, he is a puppy, and he loves to play, and he loves to kiss, um, and he very much loves Mary and I, and it's very obvious that he loves us. Do you know that your pets love you? Do they speak to you and tell you that they love you? I certainly hope not. <laughs> but our pets, as we all of us know that have pets, can tell us that they love us in so many different ways. How do your pets tell you that they love you? What about by their kisses? Do you let them kiss you on the face? (laughs) No, no, maybe on the hand, something like that. But there are so many different ways that our pets can tell us that they love us, but they can't speak. We know that our pets love us by their actions. And we, as God's children, are called to do the exact same thing. Now see, we're lucky. We have the ability to go tell our friends and our family that we love them with our words. But sometimes it's so much more meaningful if we can give a hug or a kiss, if we can do something nice for someone, like open the door or treat someone with respect. Sometimes when we show people our love by our actions, it can mean so much more than with our words just like our pets. Let's say a prayer together this morning. God, we come here today because of the love that you've shown for us. From the youngest and smallest child to the most seasoned adult, you show each of us an enormous amount of love And God, it's because of the love that you've shown us 
that we hope to love others. God, we pray this morning that you would show us how to love not only with our words, but with our actions as well. We pray that everything that we say and everything that we do would be to love you and to love others. Thank you so much for these children that are here this morning. We pray that they would walk their lives with you in their hearts. God, we love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning once again. Thank you, Alan, for that children's sermon. And I uh, want to mention that I will be available in the vestibule after the service. If you're here today as a guest or, or um, maybe just for the first time and uh, haven't, we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I would love to do that following our service this morning. We have several uh, praises and prayer concerns this morning. First of all, I just give the Lord uh, praise for wonderful services this week with our renewal week. We spent two nights at Green Bethel on Sunday and uh, Monday night, Jamal Edwards, powerful sermons and worship, and then here Tuesday and Wednesday with Raymond Smith and College Park Baptist. And if you were not here, you certainly missed a blessing, but it was just a wonderful time to be together. Uh, Wonderful, challenging and encouraging sermons. Uh, I was convicted, I think we were convicted, we were challenged. And it was just a wonderful time to be together. We have several prayer concerns we want to mention this morning. Roger Webb remains in Charlotte at CMC after uh, what was supposed to be four bypasses, but right before the surgery, they concluded they only needed to do two. And he is recovering as expected and doing well. So we praise the Lord for that, but he will remain there for a few more days. Uh, Jane Stroud continues to have ups and downs. Uh, She's continuing to struggle with some back pain, but her kidneys are doing better. And so some days are obviously better than others, but she very much appreciates our prayers. We need to continue prayer for Jane, for uh, Charles, for the doctors and for the family, for everyone involved, and just pray that she would have a speedy recovery and get back on her feet uh, uh, very soon. We want to pray this morning, especially for Sybil Beeson. Sybil was taken to Shelby and then due to lack of rooms from what we were told that she is now at Mercer, Mercy Hospital in uh, Charlotte uh, with some fluid on the lungs and pneumonia. She's currently on a ventilator, but they expect that that can be, will be removed this afternoon. So please be in prayer for Sybil, the doctors, and for Ed uh, during this uh, important time. And we continue to remember Jerry Green and Pat. We want to be mindful of them. And then we have another praise this morning. We had two that have hip surgery and we've had this week and we have one that had hip surgery that's here this week. And Joe, we've been praying for you and glad that you are here this week. We praise the Lord for uh, your progress this week, but continue to be in prayer for Carol Page as well as he had hip surgery. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning that we have once again, the opportunity to come together as your church, as your people, as children of God to worship you We pray today that we would do that in spirit and in truth. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we bring things in here with us that uh, may hinder us from worshiping you. And so, Father, if we have done that today, help us at this time right now to confess that and to um, open up our hearts and our minds to allow you to speak freely and openly to us this morning. Father, we pray that your word as it is read and as it is preached and it is sung, Lord, would fall on good soil and that, Father, it would take root and would grow and produce fruit in our lives. Lord, we're thankful for the ways that you have gifted your body to serve both within the church within our, and within our community and within our world. And Father, help us to be faithful with the gifts and the talents that you have so blessed us with. 
Father, take the resources as they are given later today and bless them for the furtherment of your kingdom, for the upbuilding of your kingdom. God, we lift up these today whose names we've mentioned. For these who are in the hospital, for Sybil Beeson at this hour, we pray for renewed strength and health in her. Father, help the doctors to know what to do with her situation. We lift up uh, Jane Stroud and continue to pray for relief from pain and that her kidneys would continue to function well. We lift up Roger Webb as he is recovering. And we lift up Jerry Green and pray for your touch on his body. And Lord, uh, for Carol and Joe, we thank you for successful surgeries there. God, as we come together to worship you today, help us to be mindful of those who um, serve you, not only here at home, but uh, across, across the world, Father, in sometimes very difficult situations. Father, may you provide for their needs, and Father, may their ministries bear fruit. God, we love you. And we ask today that you would speak to us and meet us at the point of our need, that when we leave here today, we'll say it's good to have been in your house. Father, you have permission to do what you will in our lives, to draw us closer to you, that we may reflect you in greater ways as we leave this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are able, please stand and join the singing four five.
please join me in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for a beautiful Earth Day um, and a wonderful Sunday to come together and worship you. We are thankful for the opportunity to give to you, and I pray that each gift that is given today will go for the betterment of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.
Today I'll be reading from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. This is on page 1066 in your pew Bibles. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who keep his commandments abide in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Will you pray with me once again? God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. For the last few weeks, if you're a guest today or if you're here for the first time in a few weeks, we have been walking through... First John, we're not going through it every bit of the, the book, verse by verse, but we are taking sections of it and looking at it in reference to the subject or the phrase family resemblance. Now, this phrase is not new to many of us. We've grown up hearing, oh, you look like so-and-so, or you look like your aunt such-and-such, or your mom, or your dad, or your brother, sister, whoever it may be. But the phrase from what little research I've done on this, on the term family resemblance, it was, uh, it was coined by a German um, by the name of Ludwig Wittgenstein. Now, that's not German at all, is it? Um, in his book called, or his work called Philosophical Investigations, where the idea that not all features may be common to every object in the family and that no single feature is common to all members of the family. But when you look at a family photo, as we have been doing and we'll do again this morning, you see some common characteristics that are exhibited among family members. And where we are headed uh, each Sunday is again today is that as God's children, there should be certain things that we recognize in one another. I shared with you last week that I've been on mission trips and I've been to places where we didn't even speak the same language. The culture was very different. And yet there were distinguishing characteristics among the church in Puerto Rico or Bolivia or Honduras or Guatemala, as is distinguishable in our church as well. You can sometimes recognize 
people in God's family, amen? Sometimes I wonder if we look on, we watch things on TV, I research maybe an actor, an actress a little bit, just because, you know what, they just have a sense of joy about them, even in whatever role they're playing, whatever movie or TV show they're playing, and you just can't help but wonder if they're a believer. There's just something about them in the way that their, their countenance is. But let's look at some family pictures this morning. I think we have a staff photo coming up first. Here we've got um, your very own Heidi Dobbins that assists many of you uh, each week here in the office. And you've got her parents, Ed and Linda White. And you've got uh, her children. Uh, I'll get to Joel in a minute. You got, uh, you got Jacob. And by the way, Jacob and Emily just recently engaged. Congratulations. You've got Zach, their son Zach and his wife Carrie. And then you've got in the front, uh, Madeline Dobbins, and now Mrs. Madeline Humphreys, and Josh. And we're glad to have you guys with us this morning. And oh yeah, there, there is Joel too in the, in the, in the photo. <laughs> He's out there waving. Yeah. Um, but Joel, we, have, uh, we continue to rejoice with you with good words, and we continue to pray for you as well in light of, in light of some recent tests. And so uh, beautiful family photo there, good, good folks. And uh, uh, let's go to the next one. We've got another, I know this surprises you, another Hamrick photo. Um, we've got, uh, you've got Dale and Rhonda. Dale's in the far right and, and Rhonda's down front holding one of the triplets. And uh, I say one of the triplets, I know their names are Levi, Callan, and Silas, but I, I'm still working on identifying there. Um, you've got uh, their daughters, Caitlin and Allison. Allison, this was right before Cooper was born, their new addition. You've got Caitlin and Bubba. You've got Willie and Terry and their daughter, Heather, there in the front, the blonde-headed lady. And Russell is not in the picture, as well as John Michael is not in the picture, Allison's husband. Uh, but then you've got their brother, Robbie, who is not, who is not featured, but his, who recently passed away, but his wife, Jane, and all of her family there in the photo well, in, is in the photo as well. Uh, this was taken, I believe, at Sandy Run Baptist Church and just a wonderful uh, family photo. You know, when I've, go, when I've gone through these each week, it's a blessing just to think about families being together, isn't it? There's something special about that when we gather with our, our family. I hope it is uh, for you and for your family. Let's go to the next one. Here we've got another staff photo, our, your very own Roger Lowe, organist and media extraordinaire with his dad. Uh, this is his uh, army photo from 1948, I believe, there on the right. And um, uh, just a great picture of Roger and his dad there. I made a few notes. Um, uh, his dad passed away in 2002 with Alzheimer's, um, but was a chemist and served in the church as deacon chair, choir director, taught the young adult Sunday school class up till his uh, retirement. And, uh, but that is a great photo of, of each of you uh, for Roger. Where is, there he is, Roger and your dad. What a, that's a, what, a, what a great photo. I think, is that it? Is that, is that it on our photos? I believe it is. I believe it is. First John, we get a glimpse of God's photo album. I've referenced that the last few Sundays. Um, John is our author. He's a little bit older as he writes First John. And so uh, much like many of you, when we, when we gather together with family members, and it's always good to, to hear uh, from those who have lived longer than we have. And one, one day recently, I just told Aiden when we were at my dad's, I said, Aiden, just go in there and ask grandpa about the good old days and just see what happens, you know? And, and he did, and the conversation just took off. And that's sometimes that's all you have to do. You know, tell me about the good old days and just, it gets the conversation started. But today we learned, well, we see, first of all, let me back up with John again. John and his brother James was once called 
sons of thunder. And they move and transition uh, from when they're first introduced in scripture as sons of thunder to being known later as apostles of love. John talks more about love than any other writer in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus, of course, speaks about love, but John writes about love more than any other author in the New Testament. John gives us a good look and a good idea of the characteristics of God's children. I want you to keep your Bibles and, and a pen uh, near you this morning. Uh, I have, I've shared before, I encourage you to have your own Bible at church on Sunday. Some of you use, a, uh, I say a mechanical, a digital uh, device sometimes to read your scripture. But it's important, I know it's been for me, I've had the Bible that I've had now here for, a few, for several years and I'm starting to get special little markings in it. And uh, I could show you three or four other Bibles in my office that were with me, one as a child, one as a teenager that had special markings, and then one as a college student and as a young adult. And each of those Bibles, I have written things in there and I've written the date sometimes. And I know some of you would not dare write in your Bible and I understand that. But for those who are willing to do that, it certainly helps me and it may help you as well to sometimes remember uh, when you heard a sermon or something special that from, from, from a message or a special service where you were at to jot some things down. And so I would encourage you to do that possibly today as we travel through 1 John 3, 16 through 24. Now we're doing something a little bit different today. What we're doing today, I don't always do this, but we're looking today at this passage of scripture verse by verse. And I think you will see why as we move through it. But in verse 16, and thank you Sandy for a wonderful job reading. Verse 16, John wrote, we know love. We know agape, we know unconditional, we know sacrificial love. Thank you choir for the song. How appropriate for where we're going today in the message. We know, love, we know this love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. The first characteristic today of God's children is a sacrificial love, a sacrificial love. The word ought here is particularly strong. It's particularly strong words. It means to be indebted to, it means to be bound. It speaks of an obligation to reproduce Christ's self-giving love. The Christians of John's day knew that at any time martyrdom might be called for. They've seen firsthand with their own eyes those they love die for their faith. To give one's life for one's faith was not foreign to John's audience. Most, I would say probably not any of us will be asked to give our life for our faith. But yet the principle still applies to us today. C.H. Dodd writes on this verse, there were occasions in the life of the early church as there are certainly tragic occasions at the present day for quite literal obedience to this precept. But not all life is tragic. Yet the same principle of conduct must apply all through. Thus it may call for the simple expenditure of money that we would have spent on ourselves to relieve the need of someone poor. The same principle, but with a lower level of intensity, is a willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. How many times as a family member have you sacrificed something that you wanted or needed, uh, very much needed, but yet you've sacrificed so that another family member could have what they needed or at times even what they wanted, as I know many parents do. What about taking this to the extreme? Have you heard of a family member who is watching someone go through a debilitating illness or suffering with a disease and you've often heard them say, if I could, I wish I, I, would, I would take their place. I wish I could, I wish I could take their place. In, in many ways, that is us living out what John says here about sacrificial love. 
about giving our life for someone. It's painful and it hurts us deeply, especially when we see someone younger going through something in our family that we would most gladly, if we could, take their place. The message of God's love in Jesus Christ is operative once again when we choose to act in sacrificial ways for others. God in his great love for us has acted in a way that puts his children first. He is saying that my children should do the same for others. When they do, they are acting like my children and are a part of my family. God's children act in ways that demonstrate sacrificial love. Verses 17 and 18. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. A second characteristic in this passage of God's children is simply do not make talk a substitute for deeds of compassion. Do not make talk a substitute for deeds of of compassion. In verse 17 in the NIV, it reads this way, if anyone has material possessions or sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity, no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I love the literal Greek translation, and I think you will as well, of verse 17. It says, whoever has the means of life of the world and sees his brother having need and shuts up his bowels from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Most of your translations probably do not read that way. But bowels here in verse 17 is the Greek splen, or it's where we get the word spleen. And uh, it talks about pity or sympathy, but it, it's the bowels, it's talking about the, the inward affections, the most inward part of, of who we are. The inward affection combined with tender mercy is the best way to say this. But it's, uh, it's, it's love that affects us deeply from the inside. The New English Bible says, my children, love must not be a matter of words or talk. It must be genuine and show itself in action. Author Ramsey says, the love of idle sentiment and the love that ends in soothing words is not the love that led Christ to the cross. It's not just sentimental words and and kindness and, and we need to be kind as scripture tells us that. It's kindness that leads to salvation. But at the same time, our kindness must also be demonstrated by our actions as well. And thank you, Alan, for a wonderful children's sermon this morning. Bowling Springs Baptist, when we think about our families, when we think about our community, our nation, and our world, we don't have time to just simply talk about God's love. I'm grateful for this Wednesday night's message from Raymond Smith at College Park when he talked about living with the end in mind. And he he reminded us there's a sense of urgency and we need to be mindful of that. Sometimes we think life's kind of dragging on and we're just going through the same thing day after day. But when it takes, you talk to family members, again, that are older, ask some of these ones about the good old days and you'll realize how quickly life passes by. I learned when I was a young adult uh, people kept saying, oh, enjoy, you know, these years when Aiden was so young, you know, they, they fly by. And now I can honestly say that they were a hundred percent right in what they said. It seems like the years just fly by the older that you get and you realize how temporary life is. In church, I would propose to you this morning that we do not have the time to just simply talk about God's love. We must also represent God well and be people who practically demonstrates God's love to others. Our community and the world is hungry to see God's people to being God's people, to see us loving our families, loving our community, and loving in the world in the way that he has called us to through every means possible. I'm grateful that God gives us different passions and interests and different personalities. Let's be true to who God has made us to be and share his love in ways that fit who we are. 
some of you are gifted in many different ways and many different uh, personality traits, but many different uh, practical ways as well that God has gifted you. And he is desiring each of us as his children to use those ways to demonstrate his love to others. I'm grateful for ways that Bowling Springs Baptist does that already. I'm grateful for our food pantry. Uh, we have people that come in and out, numerous people each and every week who we were able to not only satisfy a physical hunger, but we also, I'm grateful, I've seen it with our staff and I've done it as well to share with them about God's love. We ask them, are you involved in church anywhere? And each, uh, maybe not each and every time we're inviting them to church, but uh, almost every time that people are coming in, we're talking with them about God's love and asking them more than just about their physical hunger. I witnessed Betsy doing it just a, a week or two ago. Betsy, you, wonderful job. Her heart was broken over someone that she had talked to on a Friday afternoon late that had come by. And uh, Betsy was trying to help them even secure a job in the area. And they were wondering why Betsy was wanting to help her. And so Betsy, thank you for showing practical love to those who come into our food pantry. I think about our deacons and the many phone calls or emails that I'm involved in each and every week where our deacons are saying, you know what, they visited with someone and Keith, hey, I just wanted to let you know about this person who's sick or this person who maybe was in our church or in our community. I didn't know if you saw him Sunday and I just wanted you to be aware of this. And so I'm grateful for our deacons and the way that I see love demonstrated there. For the way that I see it demonstrated through our care ministry is wonderful. The way I see it demonstrated by those who are in need, sometimes maybe just families going through a tough time and I hear of Sunday school classes that have taken meals or in some way helping a family out. Uh, the way I see it demonstrated at funerals, but it's, it's awesome as a pastor to see God's love being demonstrated in practical ways in our church body, within our community and beyond. So the second characteristic I'll say again of God's children is simply do not make talk a substitute for deeds of compassion. We must talk about God's love. And I hope that God is growing in your life and, and is moving in such a way that you just can't help yourself and that you're talking about God's love, but it also must be demonstrated in deeds of compassion. Now, verses 19 through 24, we're gonna camp out here for just a few minutes. Let's read this again. This should be up on the, the screens as well. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we ask because, excuse me, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. This is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. The third and last characteristic that I wanna mention this morning of God's children is the presence of a conscience. We're gonna unpack this. The presence of a conscience that seeks to honor and please God in all of life. A characteristic of God's children is the presence of a conscience that seeks to honor and please God in all of life. As we look at verse 19, it says, whenever the Bible speaks of the human heart, it almost always relates to the mind as well. The Greek word here is cardia, uh, the thoughts or feelings uh, also related to the mind. It's where we get our word cardio or, or cardiac, again, referring to the heart. In the Bible, heart often refers to the inner man. Uh, again, especially more so in the Old Testament, the heart referred to the, the thinking or the, the place where decisions were made. And we see that at times as well, even in ways in, in the New Testament. But the heart here is referring to the, the whole inner man. Here is the following verses 
commentators agree that it is, it is used here as we would use the word for conscience. Now I wanna say something. Oftentimes before we use the word conscience, the word guilty comes back up. Raymond, who was here from College Park this last week, shared with us uh, uh, some powerful messages this week, but he sent me a text this morning, and I thought this was ironic, because I think he he told me that he was also preaching on 1 John, and that we've been going through 1 John, but last week he, he focused more on sin than maybe he normally does in his service. He sent me a picture of something, I just want to tell you about it. He sent it to me just about an hour ago before the service. And it's a, a postal, it's a money order that somebody had sent College Park Baptist Church. And at the bottom, it says that they wanted to repay 10 times for a sin committed in 1973. Talk about conscience now in the heart. Um, they took $17 from the church. They stole $17 from the church. And so he said, I've never had this happen before. But he gets a postal money order for $200 from someone that stole $17 from the church in 1973. Now you talk about the Holy Spirit convicting that man's conscience. That is a prime example of how the Holy Spirit does that. The conscience is that gnawing feeling in your spirit that you've done something wrong. I don't need to talk to most of you about what that, what that means. It's like that light on your car dashboard that signals something needs attention and if you don't give it attention, it's gonna get bad quick. And a lot of times our conscience comes up and at times we can either respond to our conscience and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us or we can go on about our business and then many times we suffer the consequences of strained relationships or whatever it may be because we have not dealt with and followed and was obedient to our conscience as it was speaking to us. Our conscience is something that is built in us when we are younger. It's often things that parents and teachers and coaches have said or taught. A growing problem today is children not being taught right from wrong. They have poor models at home and in the community and that children are not developing a conscience. Whenever I hear about a school shooting, especially if it's from a younger adult or even a high school child, or if it's uh, uh, just the horrible things that you sometimes hear on the evening news. It's why I've kind of quit watching it. Not that I'm trying to ignore all the world's problems, but I just don't want to hear about, uh, you know, some of the horrible things every night. I, I check most of the news on my phone or tablet and occasionally watch it on TV. But yet time and time again, when I hear the stories that I hear on the news, I'm just thinking, how can people do this? How do they not have a conscience? But then I think back possibly to the way they were raised or a path in life where they slowly began to go down the wrong path and ignore that conscience. They were, maybe they were taught right from wrong, but at some point they kept moving in a direction that just kept ignoring moral, moral um, parameters in, in the sense of, of what's right and what's wrong. And in, in, in verse 19, John writes, he says, by this we will know that we are from the truth. By this, we will know that we are from the truth. And he goes on to say some things we're going to look at in just a minute. But we live in a day when truth is a little bit wishy-washy. Nobody likes to be told anything that's, that's straight. This, this is the truth of God. We, we are taught tolerance and we are taught we need to understand that people come from different perspectives. And, and I understand that as well. But Christ teaches us how to be respectful to others while at the same time speaking truth and being people who are of the truth. Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To know Christ, he tells us, is to know truth. H.C. Trumbull says, conscience tells us that we ought to do right, but it does not tell us what is right. That we are taught by God's word. 
The truth of God should be our guide, not always our conscience. Let me explain that. Some have consciences that are deeply flawed, consciences where wrong is okay, at least by the standards that they were raised by. But when the truth of God is our conscience, this leads us to walk in the ways of God and it leads us to be the children of God that he has called us to be. So truth and conscience coming together will lead us along the path that he would have us to go. This week was tax day. I hope um, I see the sighs and I see the frowns as I mentioned that. Many of you know that. Um, we won't get into details about any of that this morning and I will not ask you anything there. But, but speaking of conscience, did you know this? Did you know that ever since 1811, when someone who had defrauded the government anonymously sent $5 to Washington, D.C., the U.S. Treasury has operated what they call a conscience fund. And since that time, almost 3.5 million has been received from guilt-ridden citizens. A conscience fund. Again, the third characteristic of God's children is the presence of a conscience that seeks to honor and please God in all of life. And under this, I want to close by sharing three things under this idea of a good conscience. And it's straight from what we've read today in our text. When our conscience under... When our conscience does not condemn us, which is back in verse, uh, verse 20, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. But in verse 21, beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God. When you were younger and clearly went against your parents' wishes, and you know that, and you saw them the next time, I got a feeling that you were probably not confident in their presence. The same is true spiritually as well. When we are following God, when we are seeking his will, desiring to be obedient children of God, there's something about living a life of obedience and following his will in every way that allows us to come into his throne room with confidence. That allows us to come into his throne room with confidence. When we walk in God's ways, we have a freedom and a frankness with him, much like a child would have with a parent because our hearts or our consciences do not condemn us. We see that right here in scripture. How many people would like to say this, that they have a confidence towards God? Are you at ease with God, but yet respectful of who he is? Or are you scared of him? When we're living to honor him and please him, we have confidence in his presence. And we see that here in the text, that his children, much like you when you were a child, would have confidence in your parents' presence if you were living the way that they have asked you to live. Next, when our hearts, or when our conscience does not condemn us, we have answer to prayers. In verse 22, it says, we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, this doesn't make, this doesn't mean that God is this genie in a bottle that when we're living the way we need to live, he answers all of our prayers. That's not, I don't think, what John meant. All right, this can be taken to the extreme. Just because you're living to please God doesn't mean he will answer all your requests. I remember praying for a dirt bike when I was a child and I never got it, but that doesn't change who God is. Okay, um, God was still God even when I didn't receive this. And what I mean is that is our freedom and confidence doesn't give us permission to tell God what to do if you took that to the extreme. But we begin to pray with confidence and we begin to see God's answers to our prayers more readily than had we not been following his will. Does that make sense? I hope it does. If not, we can talk afterwards. <laughs> Last is when our hearts, when our conscience does not condemn us, the scripture says here again, we have the assurance 
from the Holy Spirit. The last verse, verse 24, it says, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. Now this is the first time that I recall in, in, the, in the epistle, the little book of 1 John, where John clearly is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the indwelling spirit who redeems us. This same indwelling spirit that prompts us to love one another. This same indwelling spirit that teaches us truth. The same indwelling spirit that convicts us of sin and comforts us in our trials, who holds us all the way through death and into eternity. I want to mention two things about our conscience for you to ponder this morning. If your conscience accuses you, look back and ask why. If your conscience accuses you, if your conscience is bothering you this morning, as I even talk about conscience, look back and ask why. And the second thing is when your heart affirms you or when your conscience is affirming you, look around and see why. What is the difference between your, your conscience um, accusing you? What is the difference when your conscience is affirming you and take note of what's going on in your life? Uh, Friday and Saturday, some of you know, well, Friday was Aiden's birthday. I now have a preteen. Yes, I now have a 12-year-old. And uh, Friday, we went to Winston-Salem for the day, took him out of school. That's right. Took him out of school. He was supposed to be at school. Took him to school. We went to Winston, had a blast. And some of you saw the results of the day on Facebook, on the video that I shared, uh, where your pastor was a flipping pastor. And what I mean by that is, is we went to Surge. It's a trampoline park. And um, I just, I was thinking, why not? And I don't know why I was thinking that. I'm 43 year old, three years old, getting ready to be 44 this summer. And I'm standing there on this great precipice with the trampoline below me. And I'm thinking if I jump five feet, I can get a really good spring and do a flip into this foam pit, this foam, whatever, that has a trampoline in the bottom of this. And so one, you know what? I did it. And then when I did it, it's like a little kid in the candy store when, or like a little kid when his dad throws him up like this. I'm like, I need to do that again. And so I did it like four or five times. And guess what? Yesterday I was sore. And even in this morning, I'm even sore than I was yesterday. Um, but we had a blast. And I say all that to say this, as a, as a child of God, one of the things that is, is evident in a home with a young child is that we see maturity. And I see maturity in Aiden. I, Aiden, normally I ask when I talk about you, but this morning I'm talking about you without asking. But we see, we see maturity in Aiden. He's different than he was as a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. He's now a 12-year-old and he's maturing. The scripture tells us in Hebrews, I think I have this in here, Hebrews 5, 12 and 13, it says, the author of Hebrews says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. We slowly, we have young babies in our church and we feed them milk, we feed them proper food, but as they grow and as they mature, we begin to feed them, you know, it's like the stage food. I remember that's, it's been so long now that Aiden's 12, it's like you got stage two and stage three and then you get up to like, you know, small soft foods and you finally, they get up to eating meat at some point in life. Um, but uh, you, you see a progression in a child in a home with maturity, hopefully, but we also as children of God should be able to look back on our lives and see a progression 
of maturity, of spiritual maturity in our lives as well. That simply cannot help but happen as we look to God's word, as we seek his face in prayer, as we come together with his people, as we serve in sacrificial ways, both in our homes and in our church, our community and our world. As we, when we give sometimes that is uncomfortable, we know that we could use this or even need this money or these other things for or our time. Sometimes when we give of our time, we know we need our time. I know what that's like to do these certain things, but yet we put those things aside for the sake of others and maybe give sometimes when it's hurtful or maybe spend times doing something loving others and letting our yard go. Yes, I have to, I'm, I'm convicted, I'm, I'm guilty of that. But, or, or doing other things to when we, we say, you know what, these things that I wanted to do are less important than me serving and loving others in this way right now. I hope that as we move forward, we can see maturity in our lives. When we look at family photos that we've, did, that we've done earlier, some of you, we look at those photos and we don't look like we did 10, 20 years ago. We're seeing a maturity in our faces, in our hair, or, or whatever, whatever it may be uh, in us. But I hope and pray, church, that as we grow in our faith, that as we continue to look at 1 John, as we continue to think about what it's like to resemble and reflect one of God's children, that we will look more like him and that we will grow and mature in our faith. Let me ask you as I close this morning, are you a child of God? Are you a child of the King? Have you confessed your sin? Maybe that conscience, maybe that Holy Spirit, maybe the Holy, the Holy Spirit spoke to you as a young child and at that time you asked God to forgive you of your sins and to come and to save you and to change your life. Maybe you haven't done that as a child. Maybe you're here today and you've never done that. Here in just a moment, you'll have that opportunity. I'd love to talk with you more about what it means to be a child of God. This morning, maybe if something was said as we talked about conscience and the fact that our hearts do not condemn us, our conscience do not condemn us if we are walking in the ways of God, we can come to his throne with boldness and ask in prayer. And, and maybe today you're, maybe that, again, that, those two words, guilty conscience, is, is uh, you're dealing with that this morning and maybe you need to confess some things. You can do that where you are. The altar is open. There's a kneeling bench on my left over here. You're welcome to that. Where are you this morning and how are you maturing as a child of God? I think we all have a little room and more room to grow and I hope that in the coming weeks and years ahead that we can look back and look and see how much God has worked and moved and matured his life in us. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that, Lord, when we open it up, Father, it's not just ink on a page, but God, it's words of life and they penetrate, they uh, convict. Lord, they can encourage and they can certainly challenge us as well. And so, Father, I pray today as we have this time of invitation, as we've reflected on your word, I pray again, Lord, that it would sink deep into our beings, that it would uh, have found good soil this morning and that it would take root in our lives. And that, Father, in the coming weeks and months and years ahead, that we can look back and say that we are new, that we have been changed. Because, Father, the power of your Holy Spirit and your presence in our life does that. It does not leave us the same that we begin to look more like our Heavenly Father as time goes on. Father, we love you. We commit this time to you now. Speak. Help us to receive what you may have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. Hymn number 249, The Church of Christ Cannot Be Bound.